Hey, what's up, everybody? Let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helly is super excited to welcome Domino's Hawaii aboard as the title sponsor of the podcast. Speaking on behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we want to thank our entire team for their efforts in staying safe, keeping sanitized, and working hard to serve you, our neighbors, during these trying times. As a locally owned company, we know there are people looking for work, and Domino's Hawaii is hiring as many in our community as we can right now. We want to thank you, the customers, for your continued trust. And until this quarantine ends, Domino's Hawaii is offering free delivery to help keep everyone safe and at home. We're all in this together, so take care out there, and we look forward to the next big sporting event where we can all gather and celebrate as one. All right, let's talk sports. Hey, what's up, Jordan? How's it going, man? We got a pretty cool show lined up here today. We are going to be talking with June Jones, former University of Hawaii head football coach and a football coach at just about everywhere else at every other level of the game. Most recently, of course, with the Houston Roughnecks of the XFL, which unfortunately was one of the leagues and sports entities that fell by the wayside due to the pandemic. It was shut down and it was unfortunate timing for the Roughnecks because well, they were 5-0 and and in first place and the only undefeated team in the league. And uh, I think they were thinking championship, perhaps, if this thing kept going. Yeah, almost de facto champs, right, as the only undefeated team. I don't think they were necessarily printing up championship hats or anything like that. But, but June's awesome. He, he's always got such an intriguing football mind. His story um, is pretty unique, really, when you, you chalk it up and just all the levels that he's coached at. Um, and it was a fascinating conversation. Uh, some really interesting and intriguing stuff. And I think we cover some new ground here with June. So, uh, yeah, we'll be playing that in just a few moments. But let's get into our uh, pregame warm-up discussion, if you will, because it is May 4th, Jordan. And you are not nearly as much of a Star Wars geek as I am. I am not nearly as much of a Star Wars geek as our guy Brian McInnes, who maybe is the trivia master of everything Star Wars. Uh, but it is May 4th, so may the 4th be with you. Your favorite Star Wars character. It's tough, right? Yeah, I, I would never would never claim to be as big a Star Wars fan as you, and, and no way in heck I would be claiming I was anywhere, even a fraction of Brian McInnes. I got to go Han Solo. I got to go Han Solo. He, he's, the, he's not your straight cookie-cutter hero. He's definitely not the bad guy. He's the bad boy, if you will. Um, and, and I like the, uh, the depth of his character. And, and it was kind of between him and Chewbacca, to be quite honest. And uh, there's not one without the under. For me, so I'm going. I'm going. Han Solo is my uh, my favorite. It may be a little biased toward the uh, toward the human species, but the humanoid. It is yeah. what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I would very naturally go Luke Skywalker. It was the Skywalker saga for, sure. for all intents and purposes. Uh, but that said, I think I go Darth Vader. And no, this isn't like some kind of uh, reveal of my darker personality or anything like that. It isn't Star Wars without Darth Vader. Like, he is among the greatest villains in all of fictional writing and movie making. And so I think I go Darth Vader just because of the novelty of it. And it just isn't Star Wars without that big black suit and the breathing apparatus that sounds like I just ran about 20 feet or up a flight of stairs. Like, it's Darth Vader is what Star Wars to me uh, is truly exemplified by. Uh, so I go Darth Vader. There you go. The warm-up is done. It's time for some game time, my man. And we got some sports 
coming our way, uh, particularly on the diamond, if you will believe it, ESPN is going to be airing Korea baseball organization games starting this week. The broadcasts will be performed remotely. You'll have some of the signature ESPN broadcast talent, John Shambi, Jessica Mendoza, Carl Ravage, Eduardo Perez, among those individuals who will be calling these games from the comforts of their own homes. Uh, are you here for some Korea baseball organization action, Jordan? Absolutely. I'm absolutely here for live sports. It's baseball, right? That's what we're used to this time of the year. Uh, the KBO is great, it, albeit some of the, I think, intrigue when it comes to whether it's the KBO, whether it's uh, the Japanese league, is sort of the, the atmosphere and the fans and, and how they treat baseball versus how we treat baseball in terms of a stadium experience. And so that is lost a little bit. I, I will admit that with the, the social distancing and the limiting of, of people in these stadiums in Korea for the KBO, but it's good baseball. It really is. It's not like this is some chump league or something like that. Uh, I think we're going to see some, some fun baseball. It's going to be great to just see live sports programming for us in Hawaii. It's going to be great because these games on ESPN are like what one Eastern one AM Eastern. So what, that's prime time. That's prime time at Hawaii seven o'clock in the evening here. <laughs> Sign me up prime time baseball in the eight Oh eight. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I think we'll see some familiar names as well of some folks playing over in the KBO, both American and, um, um, some of the Asian players. I, I think it's, I think it's going to be great. I, I really do. And, and I'm, I'm ecstatic that ESPN reached this agreement six days a week. It's awesome. Yeah. We go from remarkable. nothing to six days a week. Sign me up. You mentioned some of the personnel over there in South Korea, and uh, this is an interesting anecdote. Tyler Saladino, uh, who happens to be the nephew of Kevin Luke, a technical director we've both worked with for Spectrum Sports and Hawaii News Now, uh, he is a member of the Samsung Lions. And this is kind of funny because, ironically, he never played on ESPN when he played in the bigs. He was a Major League Baseball player uh, for several years with the Chicago White Sox and the Milwaukee Brewers. He kind of bounced up and down a little bit between the show and AAA for a time. And it just so happened the White Sox weren't really very good, and so they weren't granted a lot of opportunities to play on ESPN. So he never played on ESPN for that organization. And then when he was with the Brewers, a really good team, he was either injured or in AAA during the series that ESPN would carry. Uh, and so the irony is for Tyler Saladino, who we have kind of an indirect connection to from here in the 50th state, uh, for him to get on ESPN, he had to go to South Korea. And he ironically will be part of the debut broadcast as a member of the Lions. You know, obviously we heard a lot about from, from our buddy Kevin Luke. And, and then, of course, uh, being a Cubs fan, following the, the Brewers pretty closely as well with that rivalry over the last few years. He's a good player, real, real true utility player. Uh, in the bigs and, and I think kind of finding more of a home both uh, from a team standpoint and, and from a positional standpoint I think there in South Korea uh, he's got family here on Maui uh, where we're recording this so, so the connections are all over the place and I'm, I'm excited for for Tyler because I, I think he's he's got an opportunity to go make his name for himself it's gonna be kind of interesting right with with Major League Baseball sort of on hiatus Will the spotlight be shined even brighter on some of these Korean stars, and, and not just the Korean stars, but players playing in Korea, where maybe they get a maybe they get a shot, right? Like like we talked with June about for the XFL players getting a shot in the NFL. Who knows? Maybe everybody who's got a scout is there's only one thing to watch right now. There's no high school ball to watch. There's no college ball to watch. There's no summer leagues coming up. Uh, all the scouts are going to be paying attention to Korea, and they're going to talk themselves into some of these guys. So who knows what the future may hold? 
Uh, I think I'm jumping all in on the Samsung Lions to win the whole thing. They're my team. I've adopted them. I have Detroit Lions gear. I'm just going to put like a piece of tape over the Detroit part and write Samsung. And uh, there you go. I'm geared up here, ready for the KBO. This is perfect because my team, the defending champs, naturally, are the Doosan Bears. Uh, so I've got Bears gear. We know that. This is perfect. We can make a little friendly wager, see how the KBO season plays out. Of course, the Bears would be the champs for the Korea baseball organization. <laughs> well, they ain't, win, they ain't winning the Super Bowl, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, that was a nice segue you mentioned, June, so let's get right to that. Our Domino's Hawaii main topping of this episode. Uh, we had a lot of fun doing this, so let's get right to it uh, with our conversation with Coach June Jones. All right, here with June Jones. Coach, uh, how have you been approaching the pandemic, the quarantine? You're here in the islands, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I was up on the mainland uh, when we uh, closed shop uh, mid-March. Uh, I went up to uh, Portland for about six weeks. I drove from Houston, Portland, stopped to see Mouse in Vegas, and then and then uh, kind of got bored and said, you know what, I'll just quarantine in Hawaii. So I just came, and I've been uh, – my quarantine was up uh, about five days ago, four days ago. Oh, the quarantine timing worked out because not long after that, the golf courses reopened. So you had a chance to get out there this weekend. Perfect timing. It was actually open the next day after my last day of quarantine. So it worked out perfect. Uh, talk a little bit about when you got this news because it happened really fast. And you happened to be rolling with the Houston Roughnecks in the XFL. You guys were off to a 5-0 and start, the only undefeated team in the league. And then this happens, and it gets shut down. It gets halted. Uh, what was that experience and process like for you? Well, it was kind of frustrating because, uh, I th you know, I, I'm, I'm convinced we would have made it had the virus not happened. Vince McMahon had a, a pretty good cash flow coming in from the uh, WWE SmackDown stuff. He had two events every weekend. That was the cash cow. And, uh, unfortunately, that – Close that up. I, I watched a couple of them uh, with no fans. It wasn't quite the same, obviously. But uh, uh, he got caught up in, in that and so had to close down. I, I think he was committed to being here for four or five years. And had, had the WWE thing not affected the XFL, I think we would have. It was frustrating, too, because the players were just finally getting it. Uh, I mean, we were 5-0, and oh, and the, pra the two practices we had before – we were supposed to play that week. I remember telling Dan Morrison and a couple of coaches, I say, hey, these kids are getting it now. They're, we're we're going to make a run. And uh, then, then we got the word that Friday that we weren't going to play on Saturday. That's amazing. So you guys were off to that fantastic start, and yet 5-0 and wasn't an indication of these guys really getting on the same page with the offense and the scheme and all of that. Well, everybody bought into the, 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 the things that we do to build a team, and that's why we won. But it wasn't because of execution. Even though we were number one, I think, in offense at the time, uh, we, we were just a fraction of, of what we were going to be. P.J. was finally getting it. It kind of reminded me of those last five or six games that Colt played, you know, where, where everything was complete and you just went up and down the field and the kids were all, you know, excited about, about uh, what, we were, what was happening. So uh, that, unfortunately, when you coach, that's kind of what you're looking to get to. Yeah, yeah, Coach, the, I'm just curious your take on the, the level of play in the XFL. We've seen some guys get some NFL opportunities, including uh, one of your guys in P.J. Walker. But what would you make of the level of competition and the level of play? Because initially it came across on, on television, it looked pretty high level uh, for, for an upstart league. I think the uh, uh, players uh, all are, are 
or 75% of them could make an NFL team. It's just so much has to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, I think we've had, I can't, I, I mean, I haven't followed it since. Uh, I know off our team, we had probably six or seven guys sign already. And, and again, you know, some of the, some of the younger guys like PJ's a three, uh, PJ Walker was a three third year guy. Uh, we had a couple of guys that were one or two year guys that got chances. The five, six, and seven year guys that played in the NFL have already kind of run their course in the NFL, but they were still good players. It just, you know, I, I think the uh, salary cap and everything, they want to go with younger players. You bring up PJ Walker. Uh, he, he signed with the, the Panthers. Uh, Pearl City guy, Jordan Ta'amu, gets an opportunity with the Kansas City Chiefs after lighting it up with St. Louis in the XFL. Uh, what do you make of the opportunities for those guys, especially at the quarterback position, to go crack a roster at well, the NFL level? Yeah, PJ, uh, PJ is getting back with his uh, college coach, Matt Rule. And uh, I, that's a blessing. You know, he's the right place, right time. And uh, I know Matt knows what he can do, knows what a competitor he is, what a leader. And so he's going to get a real shot to, uh, to make it now as a quarterback. Because uh, he can make physically make all the throws. Uh, uh, Jordan, I really wanted him first in the draft. Uh, I just think he's going to be in a good spot. He's a player. He's uh, accurate. He can move. And I know that Kansas City saw what I saw in him uh, playing at St. Louis and, and going back to his college tapes. He's going he's gonna to be, I think, uh, w- one of the better players to come out of our league. Well, while we're on the topic of quarterbacks making the transition to the NFL, um, what was your take on Tua Tonga-Vailoa going number five overall to the Dolphins? Uh, there seemed to be at least some uncertainty about his history of injury and how that would play out. Joe Burrow becomes the consensus number one overall pick. There was some debate, Tua or Justin Herbert. Did you have any opinion on that as it was playing out? Oh, yeah, I watched it all uh, happen. Uh, of course, being locked up uh, <laughs> in quarantine uh, for six weeks, you kind of followed a little closer. Uh, but uh, I kind of thought that he was in the right place at the right time right now. You know, I thought Miami had to take him if he was there. They actually tried to trade up to number three to get him. They thought maybe they weren't, weren't going to get him. So they really wanted him. And uh, – you know, he's in the right place at the right time. Shan Gailey's his offensive coordinator. And uh, Shan Gailey's run the run and shoot and knows the run and shoot. And, and uh, I helped him get in the league as a coach when Kevin Gilbride left, left to go to the uh, 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 New York Giants. Uh, I got a call wanting to know if anybody else knew the offense. And I said, well, Shan Gailey's been in it with Mouse. And I would think that he would have a, a pretty good knowledge. So he got interviewed and got the job. And he's been in the league for 30 years since. So that place, right, right place, right time. Uh, and the thing that Miami had was they were looking at that same situation with Drew Brees turning him down years ago. And that's the worst thing that they could have had was that he went and all of a sudden became an all-pro quarterback and they passed on him again. So I think, you know, they're going to give him every chance to be the guy because uh, the, they, you know, they want to win. And, and he's an accurate passer and a great leader. Yeah, and Coach, what do you think translates best about Tua, obviously assuming that he is healthy, but part of his game that, that will allow him to be a highly successful NFL passer? Well, it's the same thing that makes everybody that way. Number one, you have to be accurate. and He can make throws vertical down the field and put it on the money. Uh, 
The other thing is is the uh, ability to to execute under pressure when you know when the, when the game's on the line, making the throws to to play. He's been a winner, uh, you know, uh, ever since he walked on the field at St. Louis High School, or even before that when he was in uh, playing the seven on seven leagues uh, as a young kid. He always was competitive and a winner, and uh, you know that with the ability to throw the ball accurate really. Uh, bodes well for his future. And uh, while well, we're on the tongue of Iloa note, I was kind of curious to ask you, Coach, uh, a guy that you worked with, Talia, um, in his younger days in high school, and, and now that he's at Alabama, and now that that job becomes open, I, it's a crowded quarterback room. I mean, they bring in one of the top recruits in the country just about every year, including this recruiting class with the Bryce Brown out of California. What, what do you anticipate the future for him looking like uh, as he tries to find some traction and, and get some playing time? Well, you got to get on the field first, but I think he, he's going to have uh, a chance to do that. He 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 as well is a is a competitive, accurate passer, and and you know he loves he loves the game, and he too's been a winner his whole his whole life. Uh, I I wish the XFL had had uh, made it because I was going to make him the first underclassman that was a sophomore. We were going to draft him. And uh, because I know kind of what he was. And I, I thought that would have really put him on the map, probably helped him more being in our system so that when he was eligible for the NFL draft that he would have got, you know, picked pretty high. And I wish that could have played out because the, I think it would have been for the league to, to do that and have a, have a sophomore come play quarterback in professional football really would have put the XFL on the map. And uh, I, I feel bad that that didn't happen. That's interesting because you hear that conversation as it pertains to college basketball so much and the one-and-done rule and whether or not high school kids should have, if they appear to be ready to take the step, the opportunity to play at the professional level. Uh, do you think that there are enough cases of, say, a guy like Trevor Lawrence or what you're talking about, Taulia Tongvailoa, there are enough examples of guys who maybe can make that leap earlier that it should be something to be considered as far as a rule change sometime in the near future of allowing underclassmen to test the NFL draft waters? Well, I think it's going to happen. Um, we had uh, the only uh, sophomore that was in the XFL last year got drafted either late in the first round or, or second round. So he was a 19-year-old kid, came, played, and, and got on the field. And, and, you know, he had trouble with the grade issues and all that kind of stuff. So for me, you know, there, there's a ton of those guys out there. You know, you can go to – to all the power five schools take their 19-year-old kids. I mean, if you don't can't tell that they're going to be a professional player uh, as a coach, then you're in the wrong business, you know. And so uh, I think there is going to be some of those kids that, that are going to want to do that. Unfortunately, they're not going to have the avenue to do it anymore because we would have been the first to do that. But – you know, there's kids that aren't, you know, can't pay, can't even eat still, believe it or not, at some universities that, that uh, you know, the scholarship check doesn't cover everything. And for the opportunity for them to come make some money as a 19-year-old and provide for their families, I mean, that's, I mean, I, I just think eventually it's going to have to happen. Well, one of the guys who at least decided to forego his senior season from a program that's near and dear to your heart, obviously, the University of Hawaii quarterback Cole McDonald, who ends up. Uh, getting drafted in the seventh round by the Tennessee Titans. Uh, are you familiar? Were you able to, to see him in action enough to have formulated an opinion on what his chances are at the next level and what he brings yeah. to the table? 
I sure, I sure have. I've watched a lot of film on him with Rolo, both uh, Rolo and I'm not with Rolo. I think that he's an athlete. I think he, he uh, <clears throat> the thing he's going to have to do is throw the ball more accurately. You know, that's the one thing that I notice. I mean, he has all the tools. He can move. He, I think that if he's given an opportunity where he's not forced into play, where they can develop him, uh, like the old days when the quarterback got drafted, they didn't play till their fourth or fifth year. I mean, if he can hang around that long, then I think he'll he'll uh, uh, learn to be a quarterback in the National Football League. I I do think it still comes down. You know, he made a lot of plays at UH, as you're well aware of. But you know, I noticed when I was watching his film, he had guys wide open and would miss them on vertical throws. And you can't do that in the NFL because you only have one chance. At Hawaii, you always had six or eight of those chances, uh, but you only get one chance. And if you miss him, then you're not going to get a ch chance to play. So hopefully he'll improve in those areas, uh, a deep ball to get the ball on the, on the receiver. Yeah, and who knows when these guys will get to get back on the field and practicing. Uh, what do you envision that return looking like for, for all levels of football, really? And, and just the challenge from a coaching standpoint and, and for these players to kind of get geared back up whenever we get the, the go-ahead to, to return to practice and, and getting ready for whatever a season may look like. Well, I think the NFL is committed to playing, and that means that they're just going to push their season back. I think we'll see the Super Bowl maybe first week of March, uh, maybe even later if, uh, if we have another setback. But I think they're committed to playing. Uh, I'm more concerned about college football. Talked about it on our radio show in the past in basically endorsing the idea of, of spring football at the collegiate level. You've been a part of multiple professional leagues that have played in the spring. Um, is that something that, that really can't happen at the collegiate level, you think, even if we do have to push back the season? Is there any shot we see collegiate football in the spring? I would say no. Uh, the, the only way it would happen is if the Power Five stayed in the fall. And what I was advocating was all the others, uh, which, which the XFL proved. Our ratings were higher than the NBA, higher than the first preseason baseball games. It, it was number one sport on, on the line, our, our games in, in February and March. So there is a market there, and it is sellable, especially more sellable now. I just think the, the uh, guys that aren't in the Power Fives, the Boises, the, you know, the Hawaii's, the, you know, all the conferences, should move to the spring and and they'll have an opportunity to to reap the benefit of the marketing and the the uh, advertising dollars that they're not getting from the those uh, those big conferences yeah i find that and i've always found that to be a fascinating idea if, if they're not going to get an equal piece of the proverbial pie then go ahead and bake your own pie yeah, yeah. basically in another time of year totally i I'm, I'm and i believe it'll still work and i think the xfl proved it you know we drew you know, 20 plus thousand uh, plus the TV ratings were up. There's more. I mean, live television right now is the number one thing uh, for advertisers because of the fast forwarding through the commercials and all the, the other things. Live sporting events to, it, it is what they want to advertise on. So right now is the time to do it. Yeah, it seems like there's enough room for more football in the marketplace, uh, without a doubt. Um, I wanted to ask you, because you got off to the 5-0 and start in the XFL season. We have seen this time and time again from Coach June Jones, whether it be with the Hamilton Tiger Cats when he took over the offense and then took over as head coach. Uh, at SMU, 
at the University of Hawaii. You have always had a knack for being able to establish early success. What do you attribute that to? Is it the scheme? Is it something beyond that? What would you say to that? Well, it, it comes to the players buying into what you're trying to teach them as far as it being a team. Um, you know, one year, I wasn't so lucky. We went 1-11 at SMU, but then we went to five straight bowls after that one season because it was a little longer for them to buy in to, to what, what I was telling them. And, uh, of course, the quarterback helps, too, uh, having one of those guys. <laughs> but, but at the same time, uh, this XFL thing was fun because – Every job that I've had was in the worst condition that uh, it ever had been in, like 1999. They, you know, they were talking about dropping football, losing 18 straight games. <clears throat> and we turned it around the first year. Uh, same thing, every pro team I went, it was the, they were the worst uh, when, when we got there. So the XFL was kind of exciting to me because I got to draft players for the first time and be on the same level as everybody else. And we weren't the worst team. We were the same. And so I always said if we were the same, we were always going to win. And once we got better players, we'd never lose. And that's kind of, you know, good players make good coaches. That's kind of how I learned the, the game. They, they make you look good. No, I, I, that, that's fascinating because I, I think, you know, from the outside looking in, it, it seems like you very much embrace that challenge of, of taking a team from from a worse starting point, if you will, and, and building them up. But but just how different of a challenge and, and personal reward is it really um, when you start at that level and then as you compare it to the XFL, as you just pointed out, where everybody was on even footing? Yeah, well, I mean, I've always taken pride in believing that our offense will make any team better. Uh, and so I, I, I always believe that you could go, go into those tough situations, bad situations, and, and turn them around because offensively uh, it, it was a better way to play the game. I think I don't, I don't like uh, stroking myself, but the, the one thing that I will look back, I don't, I don't, I don't really uh, look back too much because I'm still involved in where I'm going to be next, where I'm going to coach next. But, but the, the situation at Hamilton is one that I'll always be proud of is because we were 0-8 when, when I took over. 0-8, and, and they were dead last in every offensive category that was kept by the CFL. The next 10 games, uh, we went 6-4, and four, and those 10 games with the same players, we were number one in every offensive category. So it just proved what I've always believed, but never had really the opportunity to do it. And, I mean, I didn't, didn't even think I was going to take the job. You know, I, I was going up there to help. And then – so uh, that – that, that one thing, uh, I think I'll always uh, uh, be able to prove what I have said, told, told you just a minute ago, that what we do will make, will be better than what they're doing or whoever, whatever the situation is. And that thing just proved it. And, and as I look back on it, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm even blown away by it. Yeah, the, the numbers bear it out for sure. Uh, you mentioned, you know, some, what the future looks like. What, what, what do you anticipate on the horizon here for, for Coach well, Jones in the next phase? I got a couple, got a couple things that uh, phone calls and until the league's things decide, even the CFL. Uh, I'm going to do some work for uh, Hamilton up there, uh, going to NFL camps and evaluating players. But at the same time, I got a uh, call in to, to a couple guys, and they're thinking maybe that they'll add, you know, add me on once they decide what the level of 
played and the players are all there. So, so we'll see. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe one of those and maybe the first tee at Wiley. I don't know. <laughs> it does feel like it's, you know, once a coach, always a coach that that is always in you, that you will always have the itch. Is that how it feels? Like when you watch football, there's just always that part of you that is observing it in that particular coach's way. Yeah. I mean, I look, I, I mean, I look at all, uh, everybody play. I mean, I'm a, uh, been a sports junkie since I was four years old and watching TV and knew everything about every sport and football. Obviously when I look at television, you know, I, I watch the concepts and watch what teams are doing and it changes, you know, and so you got to keep up with it. So I, I just, uh, you know, I, I just do. I Colleges and pros, I kind of watch the trends and what, what's going on, you know. You talked about Hamilton and, and the turnaround that occurred there, uh, but obviously Hawaii has always been a place geographically and otherwise that has held a special place in your heart. So when you look on your time as head coach at the University of Hawaii, which represents perhaps the height of the program's history. How proud of those years are you? Where does that rank in terms of your achievement as a coach in the sport of football? You know, I, I don't really look at it that way. I know that we had a great run. Uh, I mean, I really have thought that our 2006 and 17 was, was, uh, uh, were two pretty special years. In fact, I think we, I can't remember what we went uh, in those years. You, you guys can know the numbers. I think we were 26 and three, I think. And, and in reality, or maybe 24 and three, something like that. And in reality, we had the ball in our hands on those three games uh, to win the game. And to think that, that we could have gone undefeated, you know, two years uh, that, you know, you go back and just think about those, those, those particular plays that you didn't make that could have made it um, more, more unbelievable. But, but I, I think the year we beat Arizona State, that was my best football team uh, when Jerry was running the defense. Next year we went undefeated, uh, and we still uh, played pretty well, uh, but, but obviously didn't play the way we wanted to against Georgia. Uh, but, I mean, hey, we had a good run, and you know, I, I, I think the people of Hawaii will always remember that. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, what stands out maybe as one memory of that run in, in 2006 and 2007 that kind of encapsulates the special nature of, of those groups? <clears throat> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something with you that, that probably is not going to completely answer your question. But we were playing the University of Washington, and I had met Joe and Gavin Maloof in uh, Las Vegas when we played them and beat them up there. You remember the game where they had the fights in the crowd and all that stuff? And, we ended up <laughs> and uh, uh, Joe and Gavin were blown away uh, about with the offense and, you know, what we're doing, and they wanted to come. And so over the next month or so before the last game against Washington, they said, we'd like to make a contribution to you guys and uh, uh, to your program. I said, okay, come. I'll make it. I will do it at halftime of the Washington game. Well, we're down 28-7, I think. Uh, at halftime and Joe and Gavin kind of get word to me via Bianca that they don't want to do the thing at halftime. You know, you got to go in. I said, no, hell no, we're going to do it at halftime. <laughs> so uh, they were just kind of blown away. We went out, they did, gave a gift. I think they gave 50 or $75,000. I don't remember the number, but, uh, but we went in, got things together, came back and won. And Joe and Gavin still call me to this day. They can't believe that that, that happened. <laughs> That that answers the story. No, I mean that answers the question. That that we could have only hoped for a, for a story like that. That 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 is incredible. 
Um, was that just the level of confidence that you had in, in your group? And I know it was partly their their word that they had to hold up, but with the confidence as well in that yeah, group think, to come I back from 28-7 down? I think a little bit of both. I mean, I was confident that we could still beat Washington. We just didn't execute in the first half. <clears throat> Excuse me. Plus, I wanted Joe and Gavin to be part of the program, you know. We need those guys. You know, we – I think the state of Hawaii, everybody that has money here and wants to help, they help everybody in Hawaii. And that's not University of Hawaii football, uh, you know, people that are giving money. So you had to open up and we had to get new people into to, uh, the program to, to make it last and to get soap in the shower and all that stuff. So uh, it, it ended up, I think, turning around. We won that game. We went to Georgia and I think the rest is history. The, the things that that we needed, uh, the next coach always gets. And that's what I've said when I did leave, that we'll, we'll get the locker room, we'll get the field, we'll get all the things that the UH needs. And, and we did. Where is the level of emotion and feeling of, of your relationship with the University of Hawaii based on the fact that, yeah, that last year was memorable and undefeated regular season. It ended, though, uh, in the lopsided loss at the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, and then you would end up leaving the program. Where did you leave it? How would you describe your connection to those days and your time at the University of Hawaii in its current form? Well, <clears throat> um, I feel like because of those years, the university got on level ground with some of the other schools that we were competing against. You know, we we're trying to beat boys. You go up and look at their athletic uh, situation, where, where their weight rooms and, and football fields and all the things that they have. I mean, I'm not talking about Georgia. I'm not talking about Alabama and, and, and the SEC teams. I'm talking about teams we're competing against. I mean, uh, uh, those schools uh, had more uh, than we had. And, you know, you're trying to compete against those same athletes uh, in recruiting to come and when you, you know, I, I think I've told you this a million times, I didn't even take him to campus to show, show where we practice and where we play. Cause, cause it, it was, you know, it wasn't even worth showing him uh, compared to New Mexico or compared to, I'm not talking the big schools, uh, but compared to who else, you know, had an opportunity to recruit these kids. Now I think, they they made the decisions. They put the field turf down on the on the on the field. They got two beautiful grass fields. The locker room's been remodeled, so they can compete uh, against it. It's still not up to where the Pac-12 is. It's not up to where the SEC is or Big Big 12, but but it is uh, up from when when we were there. What do you recall about the Sugar Bowl and the game against Georgia? And it's sort of at what point in the the course of the action did you kind of feel like ah? This, uh, this isn't looking like it's going to be our day. Well, I knew the first couple passes it wasn't going to be our day because we didn't do what we had done for a month on the first two plays. We didn't throw it to where it was supposed to go. And, and for whatever reason, it, it didn't happen. And, and even I've only looked at the film one time after the, the game, but, but that day we were not ourselves. And, and uh, we had practiced things. And then we didn't do them. And then toward the end of the game, we started to do them, and we moved the ball. Uh, but, but, you know, it just that's the only thing I remember. I knew we weren't going to be able to pass protect against them for very long, so the game plan was to get the ball out very quickly, and we were unable to do that. Uh, I just want to ask you a couple more questions about some others in the coaching fraternity. When you were at SMU, you tussled, uh, tussled a little bit on the field with 
Todd Graham when he was at Tulsa. Um, what do you recall about uh, him as a competitor, as a coach, now that he is the head coach at the University of Hawaii? Well, I think Todd was the, uh, to be quite honest, I know Mike Leach was doing it, uh, the fast pace of the game. He, he's into, you know, going quickly and, and has a package that works. Uh, uh, he's won everywhere he's gone. Uh, we played him, uh, you know, three times I think we played him in, in, uh, at SMU, and he was at Rice uh, as well. And then uh, his Pittsburgh team, we played in the bowl in Birmingham, uh, too. Uh, so Todd play, Todd's a good football coach, and he gets kids doing their schemes the way he wants them done. And his schemes win. Uh, he's, he's Everywhere he's been, he's won. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm uh, excited to watch uh, them get, get started. I'm excited to watch, uh, you know, the way he puts his fingerprint on on the program, and he will. Well, speaking of leaving fingerprints on the game, uh, Don Shula is uh, perhaps the epitome of winning, having guided the only undefeated season in NFL history. Uh, word coming out today that he has passed away at the age of 90. Again, this is a fraternity. What are your thoughts on Don Shula, what he represented for the game of football, and, and did you have a chance to establish any kind of connection with him? You know, uh, I did. Uh, we were head coaches at the same time. I was what, three years in Atlanta. Obviously, he was in Miami. And so every year we would get together as coaches and talk about different things. I uh, had fun talking to him uh, about the 1986 year when they beat uh, the Bears on Monday Night Football because he had kind of stolen some things uh, from us at the Houston Gamblers. Uh, that, that night, he went three wide outs and a tight end and four wide outs in the game. And nobody had ever done that in the NFL before. And he put uh, a real pressure on, on the defense because when you put three wide receivers uh, in the game or four wide receivers, Buddy didn't like to substitute. So you had a linebacker on a wide receiver playing man to man. And uh, that was the reason the, that they beat him that, that night. And, and, and really, Chicago's only loss, they went on to win the Super Bowl. Uh, and and uh, I think that, you know, allowed me to get into the NFL a year later because uh, he had had success against the Bears. Now, he didn't do it a whole lot after that game. But when I went in 87, we, we did it all the time. And then Buffalo and, and then the Miami Dolphins started to jump on board and started to do it more of it. Well, he left the legacy. You have also uh, done the same, Coach, and we definitely appreciate uh, the time to, to catch up with you during a very strange time across the world in the United States. And uh, best of luck back out on the golf course. Well, I appreciate it. I need, I need a, a little extra cash because you've got to go do takeout all the time now. <laughs> Well, hopefully you can win some of that uh, out there uh, on, on the YLITs. So uh, thanks, Coach. Take care. All right. Have a good one. All right. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back with our best and worst post game. Hey, for our listeners on Maui, we are holding out hope that the 18th season of the Maui Flag Football League will take place as scheduled this summer. The MFFL is a youth flag football league for boys and girls ranging in age from 3 to 18, broken up into divisions of seven different age groups representing five districts, upcountry, Wailuku, Kahului, Kihei, and Lahaina. The goal of the MFFL is to teach the game of football without the worry of violent contact, concussions, or weight cutting. 
It's all about having fun, being active, and making new friends while reinforcing important values like teamwork, perseverance, and respect for your fellow players and coaches. For more information on the Maui Flag Football League, please call 808-280-7513 or email mauiflagfootball at gmail.com and get signed up. All right, back to the show. All right, Jordan, time for our post-game portion of the podcast, our best and worst. You want to give me your worst here to start? Yeah, I like this. I like starting with the worst. I like ending on the the, the positive note. I'll, I'll go out to Germany, the Bundesliga, uh, German soccer. They've been cleared to return to training to practice, and they've they've been very purposeful about it. The, you know, training in small groups, not the full team. Um, really, really making it a point to to adhere to a lot of the social distancing. Uh, and then Solomon Kalou, who's more famous for maybe playing his professional soccer in England, but he's now with Hertha Berlin as one of their forwards he posts a video of him like shaking hands with with teammates and he's like interrupting a teammate's medical as he's getting checked out because they're 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 going through testing a lot is and they're they're trying to do everything that, that we've seen uh, in korea as well with baseball and so it's like dude stop ruining it for everybody because he got blasted on social media they've suspended him from the team uh and i i do think it was an honest mistake on his part because i think they had just gotten clearance that everybody, all the players had tested negative uh, in the latest round of coronavirus testing. So he was like, hey, man, like, you know, it's going great. And, and then he's like joshing around with, his, with, his, with another one of his teammates as he's getting checked out by a doctor. But it's like, dude, stop ruining this for everybody. There are some strict rules here. Just follow the rules. And at the very least, don't put it on social media. Like, come on, man. So that's yeah. my worst. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good one, for sure. My worst is uh, actually one that does bring about some uh, genuine sadness, and that is the recent passing of Kaipo Spencer, uh, who was one of the first great St. Louis quarterbacks back in the day. Went on to play at Santa Clara, where he became a record-breaking passer there. Had his own personal battles with various elements of life, uh, but um, in my experience with him, and I think by and large uh, everyone's experience with him, he was always a good-hearted man a kind man, and really, truly one of the legendary athletes to come out of the 50th state. So I just want to give a uh, shout out and some blessings and aloha to Kaipo Spencer and uh, his family. Uh, Let's now make the very awkward transition back to the best, because you're right, you do want to finish on a more positive note. Uh, What is your best here for this podcast? Yeah, Kentucky Derby was supposed to be this past weekend, the first Saturday in May. That, That is the traditional date, right, for the running of the roses there in Louisville. And and so that, that can go on, obviously. Uh, and so for the first time since 1945, when they had to postpone the race, I think due to the war or something, uh, they ran the Kentucky Turtle Derby. I don't know if you saw this, but they put it on, I think it was YouTube where they streamed it. They got uh, Larry Callums, who is the usual track announcer for the Kentucky Derby, that iconic voice to call the Kentucky Turtle Derby. And so they basically put eight turtles in the middle of a circle and had them race. To the, to the stretches of the circle. And as you would imagine, it goes a little slower. And what the turtleneck won, he was 86 to 1. It was the long shot in the field. Uh, so if I don't know if anybody was actually taking wagers on this, but if you did, you would have made a nice little profit there. So it was a nice way to at least scratch the itch of not having the Derby this weekend. Yeah, quite the surprise, the upset there. I definitely thought Donatello or Michelangelo would end up winning. Yeah, they were <laughs> – I, I think they, they got popped for, for – Freud's before the race so that <laughs> that's was right, uh, that's right big disappointment turtle growth hormone yeah the, the, yeah that, they were eat, they, they are suspicious was, for sure it was tainted pizza <laughs> all right my best is will ferrell doing will ferrell things he fills in for greg olson new member of the seattle seahawks on a zoom 
meeting uh, and making such announcements and directives as I do not do special teams ever. Even if all other 52 guys are injured, I'm not playing special teams, making all kinds of demands, showing his, the shape that he's in. He's like, you may think I'm a veteran, but I'm still in great shape. And he lifted his shirt up in typical Will Ferrell fashion to show some of the love handles. And everyone was just busting out laughing. Uh, it was great. Will Ferrell is always fantastic. Everything he touches turns to comedic gold. Uh, and so that is my best here for this show. That's great. I haven't seen this. I got to go look this up as soon as we get off the air. Yeah, you got to check it out. It is uh, worthwhile for sure. Don't forget to also check out LTS Quick Snaps. We're breaking down each week's two episodes of the docu-series, The Last Dance, about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. So that's also available uh, everywhere that you download our normal podcast episodes. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808. All right, that's it for us. Big thanks once again to June Jones. Jordan, talk to you again soon. Can't wait. Going to go get me some Doosan Bears gear after this. <laughs> <laughs>